Can I cuss on this? I'm sorry. <laughs> oh yeah, no, it's fine. <laughs> Hi, welcome to the Another Read Through Podcast. I'm your host, Cal Spivey, and I'm here with April Daniels. April is a YA author from the Portland area here, and April, why don't you tell us a little bit about your books? I wrote the Nemesis series, uh, which currently consists of Dreadnought and Sovereign. That's book one and book two. It's about a transgender superhero. The main character is named Danielle, and she witnesses the death of sort of the, the, the region's preeminent superhero, and in doing so, she inherits his powers. Part of inheriting her powers, her body gets sort of magic transitioned, and it's very obvious now that she's a girl, and so she has all sorts of uh, social fallout from that. I had the great pleasure of reading Dreadnought a couple of years ago, and April and I actually met in the process mm-hmm. of me reading that when it was still in its manuscript stage, and I loved it immediately. <laughs> I, uh, I had to send an email to my boss at the time like, oh my god. <laughs> this book and luckily she felt the same way and uh it was just so cool to see all of that happen and it happened kind of quickly it did i started i started writing in high school and i i ended up writing dreadnought about when i was 28 i think so it was kind of like 10 years later and I'd, i'd been i went to school for writing i got a literature degree with a concentration in creative writing and i tried writing a different book and i tried writing blogs and i tried writing short fiction and i tried all sorts of things and then i finally i got dreadnought and that suddenly caught much more interest than anything I'd done before. And then getting the publisher was not actually that long either. Yeah, no, it was like within a couple of months, wasn't it, of your it signing? Was, it, yeah, like I, I signed with my agent, uh, Saritza Hernandez, and she started shopping the book around immediately. I don't know, I think it might have been six months on the outside. Diversion Books is like, yes, we want that. <laughs> and, and rightly so. I mean, yeah, yeah, they've they've been super supportive and super awesome. So that's that's really nice. The, the really surreal part happened when we started, like, talking about licensing for adaptations. And, right. like, now I have Hollywood phone calls every few months. I have to have a phone call with somebody important in Hollywood. And it's always like, is this real life? Is yeah. this happening? Well, I mean, it's an extremely adaptable book. <laughs> like, we, we are hoping that it will be and that it will make us a lot of money is what we're hoping for. We talk a lot about how writing styles are shifting into a more sort of cinematic realm. Um, yeah. Influence a lot. By by the importance of movies in yeah. in media culture, I think that applies to your book in like the best kind of way. Yeah, I think I wrote in my review that like you you just are so good at driving moments home, whether they're like action moments or whether they are emotional moments, and I think that that would translate to a screen pretty well. Yeah, I gave up on subtlety a while ago. <laughs> I was I was trying to like when I was in school, there were there were some students that did this amazingly subtle work, and it was like this really painterly stuff. And it was mm-hmm. almost like reading a watercolor, <laughs> and I could never do that. And I was like, "Oh my god!" I saw, and then I was like, "Well, I'm just going to make everything mm-hmm. as much as I can." Yeah, that makes it's working. Total sense to me. And and you need both kinds of styles. The editing process for Sovereign was faster because we had a we had a harder deadline. Mm-hmm. Had you finished the manuscript? I had you... finished the man manuscript. Mm-hmm. They had that, but there was. I wish that I'd had more time to. I wish I hadn't been working is what it was. Yeah. Because Diversion gave me a very reasonable amount of time, but I have PTSD from back in the day and my job was making it worse and worse and worse and taking up all of my time and I just could not focus and put enough time into that editing process as I wanted to. Yeah. 
There's a couple things. The the ending, I think, is kind of weak. I, I traditionally, I think, struggled with endings, so I'm getting yeah. better at it. Nobody has said this to me. This is all, like, my own insecurities. Like, yeah. I, I was expecting to get reviews of blah, 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 but it didn't happen, luckily. <laughs> and fortunately, some of the options for addressing it are pretty easy. So the third book is going to hopefully not have that. It also might just be that my most recent thing out is the thing that I'm insecure about. Yeah. That might also be the case, but I only have two things published, so I don't know. And they were published back to back. I find what happens to me is every time I put something out, my most recent thing is the thing I'm most proud of. Uh, and I start to like really downplay mm -hmm. and, and like throw my old work under the bus. I don't know why it happens. I don't think it deserves it, but that's just what my brain tends to do. I think it's, just, I feel like I've improved yeah. so much in so many areas, not just like my writing skill or, or like finding my style, but also in terms of representation Mm -hmm. and, yeah, and yeah. sort of social responsibility that I feel as an author. That was definitely a thing to come to grips with mm -hmm. and is, is something I, I try to get a little bit better at every book. One of the projects I'm working right now on right now has sort of an interesting thing with that and that it's set in fairyland mm -hmm. and all the mortal characters are either children who have been kidnapped or the descendants of children who have been kidnapped by fairies. Uh -huh. To me, it seems like a fairy would not care about a human ethnicity. The main mm -hmm. thing is, this is a mortal. Yoink. So fairyland is a really diverse place and discussing that, well, there's also people with like really exotic features like bug wings and <laughs> hair made of fire. Like, yeah. How do I how do I make clear that these are it's it's a, a diverse group without sounding sort of like I'm exotifying people on the back end? So like yeah. those are the sort of questions that I've been mulling over. And it's not like a great burden. I don't want to sound like that, but sure. it's 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 hard to balance it's, the, it's the hard creativity with how is this going to be yeah, I don't received wanna, by people in the real world? Yeah, I don't want to hurt anybody. Right. I mean, it, it feels so easy when it's like my intersection, but when somebody's else's intersection, like, crap, I want them to feel included, but I don't want to put them off. That's just kind of part of being an author. Yeah. I feel like fantasy in particular sort of struggles with that kind of thing. Well, the allegories in fantasy can mm -hmm. be so potent. Like, I was reading the the fifth season recently. Mm -hmm. uh, it's by... N.K. Jemisin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I really love it. There's this amazing section where one of the main characters recalls being told like an adventure story and like thing oh I want to be the hero and then like her abusive institutional father figure is like no you're the villain in that story uh. that that whole chapter really hit me hard because of course I've been spending my whole life reading and and obviously she has too because mm -hmm. she's lasering in on it like <laughs> reading the stories and being like oh I want to be the hero and then realizing oh yeah mm -hmm. my group is not included here so fantasy I I think that's why fantasy is having such and genre fiction in general is having such an amazing renaissance right now is that people are starting to accept that you can do these really direct pointed stories through the medium of genre fiction, but at the same time, because it's so powerful, you have to be careful. Yeah. I'm doing the best I can. The gender stuff comes easily to me. Yeah. But even then, I sometimes am afraid, like, is this thing I'm doing here going to make somebody who's, like, in a different part of the trans spectrum for me, are they going to feel that I'm, like, mm -hmm. coming down on them? Like, I don't want to do that, so... I was thinking about that recently with my new uh, fantasy manuscript, because, like, I want it to be... It's sort of a <clears throat> 
world that's like further along than ours in terms of like progressive gender uh-huh. <laughs> ideas, uh, even though it's like sort of a medieval inspired world because that's where I like to live. Um, yeah, yeah. But I was thinking about non-binary identities yeah. and how a lot of the time we just kind of have like he, she, and then a non-binary option. But it's like there's non-binary different ratios of masculine and feminine, and yeah. then there's non-binary agender or like separate entirely. Yeah. And and nobody wants to be the asterisk. Mm-hmm, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's exactly the the gender issue that like I feel really confident putting this in my manuscript, but mm-hmm. I'm wondering would somebody else not like it? Because one of the projects I'm working on the uh, the Fairyland book. This kid is at school, and school has, like, really strict ceremonial gender roles, Mm -hmm. but they don't actually care who you are gender-wise, like... (laughs) Okay, so you can land wherever you want to, but but you've got got two options. It's got parameters that are, yeah. And and she's gonna kind of buck the system and not be comfortable with that, but I'm like, these metaphors feel right to me. (laughs) I really hope I don't stub someone else's toe. Yeah. I don't know if this is something you want to talk about, but I know when Dreadnought first came out, there was... Was some pushback on Danny's instant transition. Yeah, there was a few mentions of that. The the reason why Danny has an instant magical transition is that every single story about trans people that I'd ever seen had a real voyeuristic focus on not transition, mm-hmm. but transformation. Like <laughs> that's like for me, that was always really frustrating because it's like my trans experience is not actually putting on some Celine Dion and looking soulfully in the mirror as I apply my makeup. <laughs> right. Right. Transness is not the same as drag or yeah, yeah, like yeah. any other kind <clears throat> of performance. Yeah. And I wanted to skip right past that. Mm-hmm. Like if she'd started hormones, like that would have been an, a worthwhile story like teenage superhero starts sneaking hormones or using her powers to get hormones like that would right, be really right. cool but also hormones take like a while to do they anything. do i don't know if people realize how long they take yeah. to manifest <laughs> and so and and i didn't want my superhero getting misgendered the whole book yeah. and it just like and also when i was a little egg i wasn't fantasizing about the actual transition process i was fantasizing about being transitioned mm-hmm. i you know like that's what you daydream about is is like i want to be that exactly i will do x y and z to get there mm-hmm. but x y and z i don't care about if i could get there without doing the mm-hmm. process i totally would yeah. and so that was the fantasy i think that i was speaking to there and well, a lot of a lot of my readers they they have reported. I, I've I've got fans. I've got like a chat room that I run, and a lot of my fans have reported that they really liked the instant transition, mm-hmm. just because it did skip all those problems. But then she's still referred to as trans. Like it's yeah. not like oh this you're a boy with a girl's body or some like anime trope. Like like no, she's transition just yeah. weirdly. Yeah. And she still has to grapple with all of the yeah. the problems that come with being trans in society. Like, yeah, yeah. She doesn't get to skip that. Yeah. Which I think is more like when you're talking about trans stories written by trans people for other trans people, uh-huh. like I th- <clears throat> think, I know for me, that's a lot of what I want to grapple with. Yeah. It's like, how does it feel to have to deal with this with other people? It's, I'm not like, I don't need to talk about how it feels to have my hormone shots. Yeah. You know, like that's not, yeah, the, exactly. that's not the issue. Yeah. Yeah. So my readers seem to like it. Some people didn't. And I'm, all right, that's cool. Yeah. Uh, but most of my readers liked it, and several of them have said that the the book is what helped them realize they were trans. Mm-hmm. And I, I take screenshots of that shit. Yeah. 
I take screenshots. I have this whole folder full of, of people saying stuff like that. And it, it's what I look at when I'm feeling down. Yeah. No, I mean, like, I probably fall into that camp because yours was one of the first uh, oh. trans books that I read. I mean, well, the first one I read was What Happened to Lonnie Garver, which is an awful, oh. awful, like, That's unfortunate. trans tragedy book um, from high school. But yeah, reading from the trans perspective in a way that invites you to consider things differently. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I think that's really, really valuable. You know, every time somebody, uh, some old crotchety person on Twitter is like, there's too many trans kids. They're just, you know, hashtag transgenders or whatever. I'm like, no, because yeah, now we are. They were actually, already there. Yeah. We're just able to actually talk about it. And yeah, so that just makes me cranky. Uh, since Dreadnought and Sovereign came out, like, I mean, they've gotten a lot of attention. Uh, in More than I expected. Yeah. Letter. I mean, you got a starred Kirkus review, didn't you? I got two starred Kirkus reviews. Mm-hmm. I showed up on recommended reading lists from the New York Public Library, the Los Angeles Public Library. I was in a Lambda finalist. Mm -hmm. God, I actually need to start writing these down. Yeah, you need to put them on your website. Yeah, like yeah. In the, your, uh, your bio. How's that been? I mean... It's been surreal. <laughs> like, I woke... Okay, one day I woke up and I looked at my phone and I have, a like, a bunch of congratulations from my agent and my publisher and my public... I'm like, oh, you got a Kirkus star! And I look at it and I'm like, is that a big deal? <laughs> For, uh, for anybody listening who doesn't know, Kirkus is one of the major sort of trade publications in publishing, um, and their star review is, like, when they give your book a star, that is a major, major yeah. deal. Especially when both of your books, the only books you've got published... Yeah, no, it was... It <laughs> was star reviews. It was definitely... Um, I was expecting that we were going to publish this, and it was going to be a drop in the ocean, and that, you know, it would basically be there and gone, and I might do, like, a crap crowdfund to buy a bunch of copies and send them to school libraries because Mm -hmm. the goal was always to get it in libraries and school libraries Mm -hmm. uh, just get it where kids can find it and you know maybe read it for free or read it at the library or just try and make it accessible right that was always the goal and I always figured like if I you know if if I connect with like one or two people that'll be worth it and then they decided that their sales focus was going to be librarians Mm -hmm. and then suddenly it got a whole bunch of attention and it's really nice But sometimes a little bit, I don't think scary is the word so much as like I was climbing for a long time and I looked down and oh my goodness, I'm very high up, aren't I? (laughs) Yeah, that makes sense. Has any of that translated to like Portland area opportunities or? Um... I mean, I'm doing this. I'm doing this podcast. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Uh, there is a. I, I went out to the. I went out to New York for the Lambda Awards and chatted with some people there. There might be some stuff that I'm doing in Portland next year. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Right now, I'm just head down. I'm trying to bang out the Fairyland book, and then I'll turn around and do Dreadnought Three mm-hmm. as fast as I can. I was in a weird sort of sophomore slump. Like, people say, oh, your second book is harder. But I'd had my second book written by the time I got my contract. So it was all, you know, I had kind of a a time crunch with the editing just because of my health issues and my day job. But it wasn't hard. It wasn't, like, emotionally hard. It was draining and stressful. But actually writing and getting a story to work, that became hard after Sovereign was published. Like, Dreadnought 3 has just been kicking. I've I've outlined Dreadnought. Not three, probably eight or nine times. Like there's eight or nine versions of that story, and I keep nope, nope, that's wrong. Nope, nope, that's wrong. Oh my god, girl, you should see my outlines for yeah. my sequel. <laughs> like, they're a fucking mess. Yeah, so I'm having this. I'm having that same issue. 
And I'm solving it by running away. Um, my hope is that if I write the Fairyland book, I'll prove to myself that they didn't give me all of those awards and attention for no reason. And yeah. it'll... Also, um, the election. The oh. election kicked my ass. Because, like, I everything had to get recontextualized. Like, originally the book was supposed to start with, like, a riot at the superhero prison. Mm-hmm. I got, like, three lines into it, and then I realized, I wrote, the president is about to address the nation. I'm like, that doesn't say the same thing as it used to anymore. Like, <laughs> they, you know, if, yeah. if Clinton was president, that would mean one thing, but the, the orange stain is, is, is in power now. Yeah. And I just did not want to let that son of a bitch into my book. I had to take a while to figure out just what I was going to do. Anyway, the third book ends up being Dreadnought versus the federal government. <laughs> yeah, the election was bad. Bad, <laughs> yeah. I think that's probably all we have to say about that. Yeah. I can't say that I have personally experienced any of that, like, oh shit, people have expectations of me now pressure, uh, because no one has expectations of me. But uh, I can imagine that being surprisingly difficult. Yeah, it is. And I'll get through it. I know I'll get through it. But it's just, right now, it's, uh, it's a thing to conquer. And uh, I guess all writers go through it at some point, hopefully. Yeah. So I feel like it probably comes up more with series. It probably does. Yeah. If if I was not writing in a series, probably would not have been because then you you can re you can reimagine everything. Yeah, like oh, this is a slightly different style, but it's okay. It's a new universe. It's a new book. Mm-hmm. Like maybe she's trying something different. Like yeah. then it makes sort of sense. But people get real, especially in YA. I think people get really protective of of their series mm-hmm. and, and what they want from it. I want to stick the landing. Like mm-hmm. people. People really like the series and I want to stick their landing. It's been interesting seeing what people respond to versus what they don't. Right. <clears throat> There's a scene in Sovereign that all of my trans readers are like, oh my, that's a horror movie. Like, that's the <laughs> scariest thing I've ever read. Oh, man. The cis readers just kind of go, oh, yeah, that's that's a bad scene. Okay, <laughs> next one. <laughs> yeah. And it's interesting seeing the different takes on that scene. Yeah. So what do you do when you're not writing? Therapy. <laughs> I'm doing a lot of self-therapy these days. I got PTSD when I was a kid, Mm -hmm. and it remained undiagnosed but tripped me up for most of my life after that, and uh, I finally found a therapist that I really click with, so I'm doing that. It's very important. The thing is, uh, when you start fighting your issues, they fight back. So I've been disabled for the past year because all my symptoms got way more acute. My endurance is down, my focus is down, my executive function is down. Mm Mm-hmm. Writing a couple hours a day is like the equivalent of a full-time job for me now. Yeah. I write and I cuddle my puppy. Those are my two big activities in life. <laughs> I mean, that sounds like a good a good life to me. It's, it's not terrible. It, there's definitely uh, stuff about it that's good. Yeah. The destitution's not so fun. But... No, no, that is, that is definitely uh, not <laughs> nice. And that's, uh, writers really get the short end of the financial stick in oh. the publishing industry. Yeah, well, that's, that's another reason why it's, I, I don't mind writing in a very visually adaptable style because, mm-hmm. you know, adaptations can make money. Yeah. And even if it doesn't make gobs of money, just any extra income stream, any extra source of royalties is kind of the name of the game for me right now. Yeah, that's the thing. I mean, advice for newbie authors or anybody who wants to start a writing career out there, hold on to your sub rights <laughs> as oh, yeah. long as you can. Oh, yeah. Sub rights <laughs> are, are so key. 
that's the you know the film TV that's translation that kind of thing yeah. like those are important uh, money oh, makers yeah. I, I work with diversion books I really like them they're pretty cool mm-hmm. and they're are they on the smaller side or are they they're sort on of... the they're on the smaller side they they do all the stuff that a larger house does mm-hmm. but they're smaller right so my contracts don't pay me advances I get everything on the back end mm-hmm. and that was a bit of a leap of faith when I signed it like I have no idea how much money's coming and it turned out to be fine. Yeah. But because they're smaller, they don't pay up front. That's hard. Not everybody can manage that. Yeah, not everybody can. Thankfully, I had a good day job at the time. Yeah. So I was able to get through it. It's it's worked out because in exchange for not having an advance, I get higher royalties than normal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my contract's like that. Yeah, and so it's worked out pretty well for me. I, th- I think that's becoming, to the extent that anything in the publishing industry is ever normal, I think that's becoming a bit of the new normal, at least for mm-hmm. younger, less established authors. Yeah, and on the one hand, I can see the logic in it. On the other hand, sometimes I think publishing needs a, a radical reorganization. Yeah, I, uh, I don't see that happening anytime soon. I don't either. I like my publisher a lot. Mm-hmm. I'm glad that I'm with them. Yeah, I only hear good things about Diversion. They're pretty good stuff. They're pretty good folks. It's nice having a publisher. Like, I know that there's a lot of there's a lot of indie writers out there who don't like publishers or, or think that they, they scoop up too much money. And I gotta say, now having a full-time <laughs> publicist really kicked ass. Like, when I did the press push for Dreadnought... There were, like, she gave me more interview opportunities than I could do. Like, yeah. I had to start dropping things. <laughs> they they spent a significant amount of money, not like a huge amount, but like a noticeable amount, right. um, advertising my book in librarian trade magazines. Mm-hmm. Which was your goal. Yeah, which that. was, that was my goal. And it also, I think, it was a huge part of the book's success just because it's kind of designed to fill a hole in a librarian's I don't even know what they call their their list of things they need to acquire their acquisitions policy. Having a publisher, having having people to help me edit, help me publicize, help yeah. this, help that. That they, it's it it's been really good. I don't think that the book would be this successful without them. Yeah, and that makes total sense. I mean, because it's all about finding the publishing path that's in line with what your goal for the book is. And yours was specifically to get it into school libraries Mm -hmm. and and libraries for teens. And you kind of need the industry channels for Librarians face a fire hose of books every single day. (laughs) They're unlikely. It's not impossible, but they're unlikely to notice or buy indie books in significant numbers. And that's not because they don't... And this is my understanding. Maybe librarians out there will will call it and say, you're full of crap. But (laughs) um, there's, there's so many books published every single year that it doesn't seem likely that I would have gotten the notice that I got without Diversion helping me out. Yeah. So that's something you really have to keep in mind. That like, there, I feel like there's so much education that you have to do on your own before you even mm-hmm. choose a publishing path these days. Like, it almost... I think on Twitter the other day, people were talking about ageism in publishing and how there's so much focus on young writers and on debut writers mm-hmm. and, and things like that. And, and so people were, like, expressing regret. Like, I almost wish I hadn't published as early as I had because I feel like I know more now. I mean, like, I, I feel a little bit of that myself in that I didn't know what I didn't know (laughs) when my first book came out and uh, I mean there's nothing really to be done for it but it it does um, I don't know I mean I'm sounding like a crotchety old man at this point where like these youths 
self-publishing because they can and that's not really how I feel and that's not really my opinion uh it's a lot I feel like it's harder with all this information out there to know when you're actually ready Mm -hmm. and to for that to coincide with when the opportunities yeah are there the uh the waiting in publishing is difficult because getting querying agents is is difficult and demoralizing and then Waiting for a publishing contract to show up is difficult and demoralizing. There's all like there's a lot of psychological hurdles mm-hmm. on the traditional path. So indie's great for some people. Like I don't want to yeah, I don't yeah. want to dump on indie. It just it I I'm very glad with the publisher that I found. It's it's worked out much better than I thought it would. So let's end on an easy question. Maybe it's an easy question. Uh, do you have a favorite place to write? My room. Just your room. Yeah. I, I, I hermit up and then I just type and type and type. That's the way I like to do it too. I've, I've not usually been one of those people who can who travels around and changes location. I, I just get distracted and I get hypervigilant. Also when I'm writing, like sometimes I, I have to get up and, and pace out, pace around and like talk out a conversation out loud. It's hard to do that in Starbucks. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that would probably uh, draw some attention. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining me. Lovely to be here. Another Read Through is a queer-owned independent bookstore in Portland, Oregon. Our mission is to keep Portland reading and support queer and local authors. We host many events every month, including author readings, panel discussions, and book clubs. Check us out at anotherreadthrough.com or on North Mississippi Avenue starting every day at 11 a.m. Follow us on Twitter at Another Read or on Instagram at Another Read Through. This episode was produced by me, Cal Spivey. Our theme music is by Zach Anger. Links and book lists are in the episode description. Happy reading!